One of the really frightening things about recovering from trauma is just the fact that we don't know where God has been in the midst of it. And when we're trying to seek him out and when everything we tried before isn't working, it can be really difficult to figure out how to have a relationship with him. My guest today is Kristen Lavalley, and Kristen is here to talk about suffering and how when our formulas stop working, we can take steps to develop a real, authentic faith. That's today on The Truth and Our Trauma. Ever sit down to pray and end up thinking about what you need to buy at the store instead? No judgment. I've totally been there. And that's why I decided to create the Ignite Strategic Prayer Planner and Journal. Know what to pray, track your impact, and learn to hear God's voice for yourself. Ignite is more than just a journal. It's a journey. And it's available now on Amazon and at the link in the show notes. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I had a lot of formulas that I rested on in my faith. And whether or not faith was something that was a part of your upbringing as a child or whether it was something you came to later, this is something that we all tend to do. We all tend to boil down our faith to these really basic tenets that we sort of believe like, well, if I do all of these things, then everything's going to be okay. And at some point, the bottom falls out of that. At some point, whether it's through the trauma or through the recovery process, we recognize that everything we thought was holding us up before didn't work. And that causes somewhat of a crisis because if that is not faith and that is not how it works, then what is? My guest today is Kristen Lavalley, and Kristen and I talk about what it is to courageously claw out of the hurt and harm that you've experienced and to try to find God in the midst of it, to try to figure out how to put one step in front of another, to walk away from the formulas that have ultimately failed us, to finding a deep faith in a relationship with God. She talks about even the littlest ways that we can do this and how as we take these small steps that we can see that it's the Lord carrying us the whole time. Kristen, it's so great to be with you today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Kristen, I just really loved getting a chance to dig into your story a little through your book. You have such an incredible way of being able to point out the real parts of suffering and yet point to where we can find God in it. And so to start us off, I wondered if you would just Give a little bit of an insight into your story and what prompted you to write about suffering. Sure. So I grew up um, in a pastor's home. My dad is a pastor. His dad was a pastor. My mom's dad was a pastor. And so are all their siblings and all of my siblings, most of my cousins. So it's this very ministerial uh, family, all in the same denomination. It wasn't that we were expected to go into ministry, but it's just kind of like what we all knew. And so I did end up going into ministry. My husband and I met in Bible college, and then we served together as youth pastors and worship pastors for about 10 years. And then towards the end of that decade of ministry, we started feeling like God was maybe pulling us away from that, but we didn't have any context for what that would look like. We didn't know anybody that had left career ministry. We just, it was so outside of our realm of understanding that we just kind of were like, "Mm, I'm not really sure what to do with that. So we just kind of sat with it. And then we ended up in this really terrible church 
situation as a lot of people can relate to that, I'm sure. And we ended up leaving. And when we left that church, we left full-time ministry and kind of just spiraled in our faith and spiraled in um, our careers and our identity. We had only ever worked for churches. We only had Bible school degrees. So there was, <laughs> there was very little that we understood outside of that world. And then after that, that was our first big um, hard event. And then after that, we kind of had a series of really hard traumas that happened back to back. I saw someone get murdered in our backyard. We lost a baby. And then we went through a crisis pregnancy where we were actually traveling the country in an RV for a year and found out we were pregnant with twins. We already had three kids. So twins was like, okay, we can't do this anymore. (laughs) This adventure has to stop. And then about halfway through my pregnancy, we found out that they were not doing well. They shared one placenta, so identical twins with one placenta. And one of the babies was not getting enough nutrients. The other baby was fine, but baby B is what they called her. Um, She wasn't getting enough nutrients. So they suggested that we abort her to give the other baby the best chance at survival. And we decided not to do that. And it was really complex. And it sounds like that would be a really easy decision, but it was really medically complicated. And there was risk involved to both babies. There was risk involved to me. So there was really no clear cut decision to make. And as we were going through all of that, the the suffering that we walked through affected me in different ways, depending on what was happening. Um, But as we were walking through what happened with the girls, I just realized that all of the suffering that we had gone through before shaped the faith that I had when our pregnancy was in crisis. And it was so important for me to engage with the beliefs and to engage with my doubt and these um, theologies that I thought were sure things. And the only way I was able to walk through that crisis pregnancy was because of all of the things that I'd walked through before. So after the girls were home and everything was okay, I started processing all of this and going through the the proposal process of writing a book. And I think everyone probably thought I was going to write a book about church hurt. But when it came down to start writing, I was like, that's not the story I want to talk about. I want to talk about suffering and how our understanding of suffering shapes how we view God and vice versa. So then I sat down and I wrote, even if he doesn't. And it was such a great cathartic and, and healing process for me. I think that's so powerful. The fact that you pointed out, though, that you could have gone this one direction. And yet, though, for so many of us, our suffering is multi-layered. It covers all sort of different topics and different experiences. And as you said, it can seem like the, you know, you've got the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. And it is often really this compound effect of trauma and grief that has us really spiraling, right? Really has us looking at our lives, what we believe and going, okay, I either have to put all my eggs in this basket mm-hmm. or I don't know how else to move forward. Yeah. You know, and it's that moment. I think you say this in the book that your faith is not theoretical anymore. Yeah. But that compound effect can often have us feeling like, when is the bottom going to drop out? Mm -hmm. And yet, though, and this is the beauty, though, of our stories and the power of them is having you say, yes, I did actually experience all of these different, really hard, scary things and actually saw how each of them was molding me a little more, a little more, a little more to get me ready for this massive faith challenge, this massive step that we had to go through in our lives. and have the ability 
through that molding process, as painful as it was, to have a faith that was real. Yeah. What was the the difference in that for you? Just even as you encounter your faith every single day now, you know, to have this faith that is so much more real because it has been tested and molded and shaped and that you have in the midst of it released maybe a grip on the things that perhaps you thought were faith before, you know, but really now you recognize like, oh no, I was putting all of, you know, I was relying in things that were maybe good, but weren't necessarily God. I think I didn't realize how much of my faith had become entitlement. And I thought that I had this formula figured out that if I did all these things and I was the good girl and I followed all the rules and I confessed my sin and I tithed and I gave the missions and I addressed conflict the right way, that God had no choice but to protect me and bless me and vindicate me. And when that didn't happen, I had to decide I had to really look at my my theology, my faith and decide, am I willing to hold on to this theology so much that I break because it doesn't it doesn't work right now because I I did everything on this side of the formula and then the other side of the formula didn't work out. And if the formula doesn't work every time, then the formula is not right. So I had to come to this head with with my beliefs and decide if I'm going to engage with them or not. And when I did engage with them and I I told the truth about what I was thinking and feeling and and what I was experiencing. It helped me to really dig into those individual doctrines, those individual beliefs that we don't know that we've picked up. We just kind of like absorb them over time. And it isn't until something confronts those those beliefs that we're like, okay, wait a second. Why do I believe this? Is this true? How did I pick this up? Let me backtrack a little bit and figure out what this is. And it was really brutal and it was really painful. But as I went through that process, I don't think I realized how deep I was planting roots in my body and in my mind and in my heart. And when it came to my beliefs needing to have a heartbeat and, and names and seeing their hearts beating on a screen, I really had to say, okay, this isn't theoretical anymore. This isn't something that I can just debate on paper and just take my take my time. Oh, what do I believe about this? I had to, to decide. I didn't have time to wrestle with my beliefs anymore. I had to decide in the moment, moment to moment, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about his sovereignty? What do I believe about his goodness? What do I believe about his relationship to my pain and make my decisions out of those beliefs? So my faith ended up in this really beautiful place that didn't feel beautiful getting there. But looking back, I'm like, wow, I'm so glad that I was courageous enough to engage with those beliefs instead of just walking away from them and saying, oh, well, these aren't true. So none of it's true. I'm so thankful that I had that support around me to do that. And the, um, I don't know, the trust and, and peace in God's presence in my life that I felt safe enough to do that. You just used a couple of words I think are really important. The first one is courage. And one of the reasons we like formula so much, I think, is that it's predictable. Yeah. And it's unknown, right? So in this world that is very unknown, having a formula seems pretty safe, which is another word that I think is mm-hmm. so powerful. And it's recognizing that as that rug is getting pulled out from underneath us, it's actually to bring us to what is really safe. That in the unknown world, the only thing that never changes is the known God, the God that we can know, the God that we can have a relationship with, that we can encounter, but transitioning from the known of formula that I like because it feels like I'm in control versus this, what feels unknown right now is this relationship with God, that transition 
takes, as you said, a whole ton of courage. Was there something in the midst of, of that journey where you feel you felt like you didn't have that courage that you didn't have or even that safety because I think that's one of the things that we might feel like well now I'm I'm having to put trust and all as I said before all of my eggs into this faith and I'm not even sure how to do that yeah I think it it was it really came in stages for me in the beginning stage I was just so angry because I felt like God had lied to me. I felt like he had chosen the side of my enemies and he had chosen the side of not coming through with what I perceived to be his end of the bargain. So there was this level of, I don't actually care if my faith falls apart. I have to go through this process. And if at the end, I don't believe anymore, I don't care because I was just so angry and I just wanted truth. And then as I started being more honest about what I was going through, I did lose people that I thought would support me in it. They were kind of like, okay, Nope, I don't want anything to do with this. You're on the slippery slope. I don't know where you're going with this. And that was really painful because it wasn't like I wanted to do this. It wasn't, I just woke up one day and was like, you know what? I'm just going to change everything that I believe because I just, I'm just in a mood today. It wasn't like that at all. It was this compulsion, this, I have to do this to save my life. So there were people that were like, I don't want anything to do with you in this process because of how it might affect me. And I was like, well, okay, I guess I'm all alone in this, except for my husband, who was like so supportive. And and I know a lot of people don't have that. And I was so lucky to have someone who grew with me and changed with me. And then it got to a point where my my theology about church is what sort of broke and fell apart first. And and so as I was rebuilding that understanding of who the bride of Christ was supposed to be, I realized that we we have to have people and that's not something that is a doctrinal command. It's something that is wired into our DNA and the way that we were created. And I couldn't I couldn't read that and understand that and then continue the life of isolation that I was in. But I was also so scared of finding people. I didn't trust myself. So I literally just prayed and said, God, I realize that this is what you want. I get that this is what you've designed, but I can't do it. I don't trust myself. I'm too afraid to do this. So you have to send them to me. And he did. And it was the most random connections and he's still doing it. I just recently was like, all right, God, I feel like I I need to shift because of my kids and I want a certain type of friendships for my kids. And he's still, again, just popping up out of nowhere, people that I I just random Facebook groups and meeting in coffee shops and friends of friends and and people that I would have never reached out to on my own because I'm an introvert and I like my space and I like (laughs) to have my alone time. But I know that I need community. I know that my family needs that. So my husband and I just decided together, let's just pray it in. And so anytime we feel like that, like, okay, we need to start building up our community or we need to start expanding our community. We literally just pray the people in. I think there's still a level when you go through something traumatic relationally, there's a level of distrust and reservation that you're always going to have. It's a it's a trauma response that I don't know that it ever goes away. You can work through it and you could take steps and you can have these like practices, but there's still that thing in you that's like, ugh. Is this person going to burn me too? So I really, that's one area of my life that I think I will always fully rely on the Lord's leading in that because I know that I need it, but I don't always trust myself. Anyway, I don't know if that answered the question. I kind of got off on a tangent there. No, and I think it's powerful because 
it is, as you said, it's wired into us. Relationship is wired into us. It's mm-hmm. wired into us, yes, to have relationship with the Lord. And that also gets enacted in our relationships with one another. And when it comes to fallen people, that's messy. And even people with the best intentions, it can be difficult. And then when you throw in the mix there, people who do not have good intentions, it makes the whole vulnerability and seeking out and all of that just feel like way too much work. And yet we don't even become fully who we are becoming. We can't even become, the best of us can't even be drawn out without people around us. And as you said, though, and I think this is a powerful thing, and I see this over and over and over with people who really have had to deal with this entitlement thing as it has come to the questions of faith and all that sort of thing, is it causes actually then a childlike dependency on God to say, Mm -hmm. can you give me this? Can you bring me this? I can't do it. That's too scary. That's too hard for me. And whether it is, as you said, maybe it's a a, a leaning towards, you know, being more introverted and the whole thing is just like, I don't even feel like I need this. I like my space, you know that. Or like in my case, I'm extremely extroverted, but I went through a massively broken season and -hmm. experienced a lot of relational harm where it was like, yeah, I don't even know where to start. Yeah. And however it comes to you or gets compounded or, or whatever the case is, it's knowing when the when that ooh kind of comes up in yeah, us, yeah. <laughs> you know, and as you said, there's an element of that maybe that does not go away. But when we can accept that and recognize, wait a minute, this is this is actually a thing that's meant to turn me to the Lord, to be the child, to say, God, I need this. Can you send me this? That that's where we start to to actually build that relationship as we're talking yeah. about that that shift of depend of dependency off yeah. of the formula and onto Him comes mm-hmm. in. In the practice of, I need this, can you give it? And then he does. Yeah. The same thing happened to me. It was like, Lord, I need some people. <laughs> and then someone said, hey, would you like to go to my church? And I'm like, sure, why not? And it turned why out not? all the people yeah. I needed were there for that season. Mm, that's great. You know, and same thing. He moves you on and you you start to say, okay, yep. God, I'm feeling that oomph again. Like, show me where, where we're headed. Mm-hmm. But it then takes... That's that's the trade-off is once now I'm not relying on the formula. Now I'm on the adventure. Yeah. But I have to, before I can be on the adventure of God, which is sometimes big and scary things. They're not always like super exciting. Yeah, we're going to no. like this new place thing. No, they're sometimes they're big and scary things. But that once he trains us in that dependency, it makes it, it makes our ability to then climb these mountains. It just, it, it magnifies, it makes it possible, you know, because otherwise... Yeah. Without that, the formula is never going to get us there, you know, yeah. and then then it becomes that we're staring off into the future and just going like, I don't even have what that <laughs> takes, you know. <laughs> when it comes to our circumstances, though, a lot of times the block for us is feeling like this is a reflection of the way God thinks about me, that the reason I'm having this issue or that I'm going through this hard thing is mm-hmm. because God's mad at me or because he doesn't care all those sorts of things. How do you think that we can detach from our circumstances so that we have the ability then to understand God's heart, what he's doing and where he is? Well, I think we we pick up these little theologies. We, we When we're having conversations with people and somebody's going through a hard thing, 
and they're like, oh, God must really be trying to teach them something or, oh, they must have some sin in their lives or, oh, they must really be on the path that God wants them to be on or else he wouldn't be putting these trials because the enemy is trying to get them. We kind of have all these conversational theologies that we pass on to each other without ever thinking about the implications of them. And because we don't think through those things as they're being said, we absorb them into our system. So then when we're going through something hard, we have all those implications in our head. And then we're like, okay, well, this must mean that God is against me or God has abandoned me or whatever it is. And for me, the solution to that was kind of like deleting everything that I had absorbed about my about suffering in relation to me and just going bare bones and trying to discover who God was, who God is outside of these doctrines and theologies that we pick up, which is a pretty heavy undertaking, but I didn't feel rushed. And I think sometimes we feel like we have to figure out our doctrine right away or else all eternity is at stake. And I just don't believe that. I think we have all the time in the world and that we're safe as long as we are pursuing him and I really just relaxed into that. And I was like, you know what? I don't know. I don't know who God is in relation to my pain, but I know that it can't be like this. So I think just engaging with it and really thinking about the implications of what you believe and thinking, am I willing for this to apply to me, this thing that I believe about suffering to apply to me? If I'm not, maybe I should think think this through a little bit and go bare bones and and figure out who God actually is. And then as you're learning who God is, he'll reveal to you who he is in light of your pain as well. I think the element of time is so important when it comes to suffering. I love that you said he's not in a rush and that we are safe when we're pursuing him. And I think sometimes this the time is somewhat of a paradox because it feels like, well, I want this suffering to be over. So how can I mm-hmm. like get the lesson, figure it out? Like, because yep. I want this gone, done. And the recognition though, and this is much like in the Job story, you know, where mm-hmm. he's sitting with it, you know, he's sitting with his friends and he's talking through these things and maybe they're not necessarily all that helpful, but, <laughs> but it's part of even process, right? And mm-hmm. That in it, he then has that time with the Lord where the Lord is wrestling it out with him. That at the end of the story, it's like, yes, Job is restored, you know, and all those sorts of things. But it is the the time spent. There's no replacement for that. Yeah, That time spent that does bring us to these complex awarenesses that it's like, if I was to tell you, you know, oh, God is with you and all that sort of, t- of stuff. It just sounds like platitudes until you yeah. walk through it yourself. And there is no shortcutting. There's Mm-mm. no shortcutting that at all, as much as we would like for that to be. But also that it's in the Lord's kindness that mm-hmm. that we don't rush through these things because they become the yeah. bedrock then for yeah. the things that he will guide us to and through as he's moving us on in our story. For sure. Yeah. Okay, this one is for all my overthinkers out there. I used to be absolutely debilitated by intrusive thoughts. Everything from constant worry to just dread of the future, I couldn't make it stop. If you're there right now, I have developed a free downloadable guide to help you get your mind back. It's called Overthinking, Get Out of Your Head and On With Your Life. And you can download it for free right now at uncommonvalor.co. As far as suffering, redemption, all these, you know, things that we hear a lot about. 
there is there are ways though that we can see where God is mm-hmm. in real time, right? Like we know that he is a redemptive God and he does these things, but there were some things in your story in real time where you could sense that God was speaking hope over you and the situation mm-hmm. with this crisis pregnancy. Can you talk a little bit about that and how we can attune our eyes while we are sitting in it to the fact that God is with us and he is speaking to us? Yeah, I tend to be sort of a cynical person. And so I feel like it's always such a grace when God does things that are really obviously him and I can't write it off to anything else because I'm I'm equal parts cynical and logical. So I'm always trying to find like the, the reasonable explanation for things. And God has been so kind to give th- give me things that have no reasonable explanation so that I can only say, okay, this is the Lord speaking to me. Um, but I started uh, maybe like 10 years ago or something, started the practice of just noticing and sitting and whatever moment I'm in, in my day, I have five kids. So there's very rarely like a moment of just like, let me just sit and observe. So I've tried to just like tune my head and my heart into noticing things around me, noticing things, even in a text or in a conversation with somebody, just trying to notice God's movement in my life outside of the norm or outside of like really big things that are obvious. So when we were going through this with the girls, there were a few things like, um, like the day after, we found out that one of the babies was not going to survive, was likely not going to survive. My, I wrote about this in the book where my mother-in-law had brought home a big package of Old Navy clothes and she basically bought everything on my registry. But I had been really careful not to order doubles of outfits because my sister-in-law is an identical twin. And I actually have two sister-in-laws that are identical twins, not the same set. They're, they're different sets, but oh, wow. my brother, my brother's both married identical twins. Um, but they both were like, do not dress them the same because we hate, we hated it. So I was really careful to not buy identical outfits. But when my mother-in-law brought home the big package of stuff, there were doubles of every single outfit. And I went back to my registry and I was like, hey God, I didn't order doubles. And I was thinking, it's actually a good thing I didn't order doubles because if one of the baby dies, then I won't have all these extra outfits that I can't do anything with, you know, logical brain. Like, oh, this this is really practical that I did that. Super dark, but that's how I was thinking. But when I saw that there was double outfits, I was like, okay, I'm taking this as a promise. I'm taking this as a little glimmer of hope from the Lord to say, nope, two babies, keep focusing on two babies. I'm going home with home with two babies. And there were a couple things throughout that whole pregnancy that I just couldn't deny. I couldn't explain away as being something that, oh, it's just a coincidence, just, you know, whatever. It was very clearly the Lord dropping these little bits of hope that I couldn't explain away. And I think the best thing that we can do for our lives before suffering hits is to start practicing noticing God's little little nudges in your life. And it's very rarely something big and obvious, but if you start to pay attention and you start to write down the things that you're noticing, you'll see a pattern of how God speaks to you and how he shows you that he's active and present in your life so that when crisis does come, you'll you'll have already built that practice in your mind and in your heart. So it'll be a little bit easier to fall into that when you're like, okay, this is really hard right now. Let me try to notice something that God is doing. Absolutely. And I was actually having a conversation with my dad yesterday, just about, you know, there are times in our lives where 
the road ahead just seems shrouded in fog. You know, we don't know what's going to happen up there. And he's an outdoorsman, you know, he likes to hike and things like that. And he said, you know, when we're out on on a hike on the trail, we're, you know, taking the steps and we're trying to make sure that we're looking at the the steps in front of us so we don't trip, we don't fall, somebody doesn't have to go to the hospital, you know. And of -hmm. course, the thoughts go through your mind of like, what happens if this happens to somebody? Or how are we going to get out if, you know, someone has a, you know, bee sting or, you know, something like that. And he said, okay, and and we allow those thoughts to to come and we stay on the step that we're on. And then we just try to notice what we can notice. You know, mm-hmm. that I've got my camera with me. I, I want to, you know, take a photo, you know, of this really neat uh, rock formation or this really beautiful flower, you know, and how how much though sometimes suffering can can rob that wonder from us. Yeah. You know, whether we had it or not to start with, that the circumstances really do, they really do draw our attention away from yeah. the wonder and, and those things. And sometimes they are, you know, everyday things that we can take uh, pleasure in. But mm-hmm. other times they really are, as you're saying, they are, there's indications from the Lord. I am here and I am walking mm-hmm. you through this. You mm-hmm. can't see what's beyond the fog, but I can. And I want you to even have the thought in your mind that this can go in a in a way that you wouldn't anticipate that your even your logical your 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 cynical <laughs> mind wouldn't want to open your heart to believing i want to i want to speak that over you in such a way to bring my perspective into your life and then it, it, you know, you think about fog though, it just, it dissipates as you take steps, you know, as you, you just take one step yeah. and it's clear and the next step and it's clear. And, you know, really you only ever get maybe that quarter mile ahead of you at a time, but it's something that it's as we're taking these steps. And sometimes it's, it's those little glimmers that is like, mm-hmm. that is the manna I needed to take the step today mm-hmm. because yeah. that's all I've got. And that is one of the things that is again, difficult about that slowness of suffering. <laughs> <laughs> but it really does, it really does make us a captive audience. And if we will listen to him more than we'll listen to the circumstance, these things absolutely are there for us. And for me personally, in the the thick of my suffering, that's where I similarly started seeing the Lord speaking in these ways. And it now creates this, this expectancy of hearing from him. And sometimes for certain people, it's going to be, I hear, maybe you do hear like uh, what, you know, would be quote unquote audible, you know, words, but not, not spoken from outside of you, but that you hear within your heart, you know? And um, other times though, it's going to be through the things that he is laying on that path. Mm -hmm. But as that we are engaging in that slowness and transferring our dependency onto the Lord, he is not like, oh, I'm just going to sit back here quiet and let you, you know, Mm -hmm. just kind of work this all out, right? (laughs) No, and I think it's so, it's so important to know that God speaks to us really specifically and he knows us so well that he's not always going to speak to us in the same way that he speaks to other people. So it's so important to, to uh, write these things down and, and make a record of, of the things that you notice so that you start to learn how God is speaking to you and how he's showing himself to be around you because he is, his presence is all around us. And sometimes we just get so 
the fog is just so heavy and it's so thick. And I think the hardest part is noticing that first thing. And then after you get past that first thing, it gets a lot easier to start noticing more and more. And then it and then it becomes less of a passive. Oh, I noticed this thing and more of an aggressive. I'm looking for it. And you'll aggressive. find it when you do. <laughs> yeah. That is such a great word, aggressive. It, it And that's really expectancy though, right? It's like, yeah. like yeah. I'm going to look and you know what? I expect that I'm going to find something. I expect yeah. it. It's Definitely. so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's an aggressive noticing. That's really good. Yes. Kristen, when it comes to, you know, being able to change our minds though about God, you know, if we may have this perspective at, at one side that we think you know, he's mad at me or he's disinterested or he's, you know, a police officer up there or whatever. But we know then too that the, like, we know that the word shows us that he is kind and he's redemptive. We have to make this jump ourselves, right? To from going from where we have been to believing that he is good and he is for us. When it comes to even just that knowledge and that awareness, how can that help us as we're stepping through these things to have hope in a time where maybe we're not yet seeing these things and we just sort of feel like we've got nothing left? Oh, that's a hard question because it's so individual for each person. But I think the more that you engage with your with your pain and understand that who you are and your your humanity isn't something that that prevents you from experiencing the goodness of God and, and the presence and, and his comfort. Our humanity is intended and we were created human with human emotions and pain is unfortunately an inevitable part of being human. It's something that Jesus knew well and he came to know that well. And I think there's so much comfort in just knowing that um, God is good. And when we detach our circumstances from his what we believe about his relation to us we can see him more clearly and seeing god clearly in the thick of pain and trauma is really really hard and i i don't think there is a simple answer for that except to just take a little step and then another little step and then another little step and just engage with yourself and engage with your pain engage with your beliefs engage with god and however he is showing up to you in that um thick fog and mud of pain and see where it takes you trust that you're safe and know that he's with you in the mud and he's going to be with you when you're out of the mud as well that's actually really powerful because sometimes we feel like maybe it's going to be some great big like aha like and it's it's really one step at a I time i wish yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> but it's one step at a time and though that as you said in engaging the doubt engaging the things that are causing us pain that sometimes we don't because we're afraid the bottom is going to fall out. We don't know that mm -hmm. this thing is going to be able to hold us in the long run. And yep. yet it's in the engaging that the things that are shaky will fall off, but the things mm -hmm. that can be strengthened will be strengthened beyond your ability to even conceptualize at the beginning. Definitely. Because he is beneath it all. Yeah. Kristen, I am just so grateful for your story and for your just candor in being able to share it and to shine some light on how we can do this. So how we can engage these things. Would you tell listeners about the book and how they can find you? 
Sure. The book is called Even If He Doesn't, What We Believe About God When Life Doesn't Make Sense. And it is a story of suffering and how my faith kind of unraveled in suffering and was rebuilt through it. And I tell the story of my crisis pregnancy and how that affected me while we were going through it, how it affected me after and how I found God's goodness and faithfulness throughout a lot of pain. It's available anywhere. And if you just want to follow along with my family and my writing, I have a Substack, which is just my name, kristinlavalley.substack.com. And my Instagram is the same, kristin.lavalley. And I will include links in the show notes for listeners to find all of your resources. But thank you so very much for sitting down with me today. It was wonderful having you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for being with me for this episode today. I hope you'll come back again. And in the meantime, you can follow me over on social media and find out about our resources and services over at uncommonvalor.co.